There we go. The first testimony that we're going to cover is Christopher Winters. And um, before his, he, he was, I think, born and raised Catholic, but um, before his conversion, he was kind of a lukewarm Catholic and uh, a video journalist professionally. And he just never, I think he's just had kind of a, a good life and never thought too much about God and um, never really considered the deep questions. Um, that's kind of the impression that he gives in the beginning of the testimony. And um, he has a Catholic friend, however, who is persistently telling him, you know, you're so talented with your profession, you really should go to um, the National Shrine Grotto of Lords, which is in Western Maryland. And uh, you need to go and meet the Monsignor there who runs it. And for months and months, he's, he's telling him to do this. And he's like, I just don't really understand why you want me to do this. But finally, to quell his friend's, uh, you know, enthusiasm for this and get him to be quiet, he decides to go. And while he's there, um, he, he does meet the Monsignor, and the Monsignor asks him, uh, hey, you know, I've actually been praying uh, for some kind of videographer to come here and to show the beautiful shrine and to give a testimony about the Blessed Virgin Mary. So this is perfect. And the guy, and uh, Chris goes, uh, no, this is not perfect. I am not the guy you want. <laughs> And I think that's always how we react when God throws us a ball from left field. Um, so he says, why wouldn't you be the perfect person, Chris? And he says, well, because I'm not close to the church. I've never really thought about this. I don't know the history of the Blessed Virgin Mary at all. So I don't think I would do the project justice. And um, the Monsignor goes, oh, well, are you just angry with the church or uh, no, it's not anger, he says. Um, it's just, I guess I just don't really connect uh, with the church. He says, okay, well, fair enough. So the Monsignor sends him down to the shrine and he says, I'll make a deal with you. If you go down to the grotto where, um, I can't remember who he says used to pray there, but I get the feeling it's like a, a saint um, who used to be on the property, Mother Mother Seton. So, okay, yeah, Elizabeth Ann Seton. So she was a saint. Um, she used to pray there. If you go down there and you seriously still don't feel like you are part of this project, if you're called to do this, then I'll leave you alone and you can leave no questions asked. So Chris figures that that is his way out. And so he says, yeah, that's that sounds good. <laughs> so he heads down to the grotto and uh, he said he's he's walking down there and he's talking about how he's never felt like his senses have been this heightened. He can see everything. He can smell everything. He can hear everything. Everything is just like in super HD 4K. <laughs> And um, he said he just felt this immense peace. And as he's walking down to the uh, grotto, he notices that 
you know, he's smelling these beautiful flowers. And this is late summer, early fall. So in Maryland, you know, what kind of flowers are there? He's thinking that are actually in bloom right now. It smells like springtime. So he keeps walking and um, he's all alone in there. And he just kneels down and he sees the tabernacle and the Blessed Virgin Mary holding the infant Jesus statue behind that. And then he scrolls down and he sees a little plaque underneath the tabernacle that says, you are now in front of the Lord God, creator of all things. And what would you say to him? Or what will you say to him? And Chris just goes, you know, that question just kind of floored me. If I really were to be in front of the Lord God, creator of all things, if this really is a person and exists, you know, who's to say that Buddhists aren't right or Muslims aren't right or, you know, what is even the name of God? But he says, if this person really does exist, what would I say? And so he starts to feel like there's this wish list that's building up in his heart, you know, like, hmm, what should I ask for? It's like a genie, three wishes type thing. Don't waste your wishes. And in all the chaos of his thoughts, and he starts to think also about his life and how he's really going through a hard time in his marriage and a business partnership is failing in his life. And um, he's got very poor health. He's in and out of the ER three or four times a week at this point. He says, even though there's all that stuff going on, Really, what I would want to say to the creator of the universe is just thank you. Just thank you for letting me be here and for letting me be at all. And all I can say is um, I'll take the good with the bad. Thank you, God. And right as he's thinking that, he starts to notice that beautiful smell again. And just the quietness. There's just a reverent quietness that comes about the entire place. And then he sort of spots in the corner of his eye this manifestation of this small, humble figure in the corner who is just in adoration of the tabernacle. And he's not really sure what this is or who it is. But he just gets this overwhelming sense that this is a very humble, um, very pious, beautiful soul. And he's focusing on that when he notices another presence come about and manifest. And this one, he's not seeing them physically, but he's sensing them there. And this one is a much larger figure. and comes with authority and he definitely knows that it's male and that it's the creator god of the universe but he also senses very much the the presence of jesus and the sacred heart and in that moment he is going through the flash of his life and everything just stops in time and um so on page 47, if you want to read along in the physical book, 
I'll just read to you guys his beautiful um, experience here. A beautiful fragrance quickly filled the air of the chapel. I thought this was odd and reminded myself to ask the Monsignor what flowers would be in bloom this late in the year. After a brief time, all the bugs and birds ceased their noise instantaneously as if on command. It was now dead quiet. It was a respectful silence more than a forced hush. Then there was another presence on the other side of the tabernacle. So this is Jesus. This is the one that had power and authority, and he was definitely a man. He was looking, not at me, but through me, and without warning, he began to call to mind every decision I had ever made without and reviewing them all with me. This happened at a blinding speed, but I could recall in perfect and clear detail every decision, every conversation from years ago, some long forgotten. He was calling out to something inside of me that was answering him. I simply... I was simply a spectator on this journey, helplessly observing the same things he was watching, but through his eyes, not mine. I soon realized that this was truly the Lord God of all creation, and he was going to make a judgment about me in this moment. And when he was finished, I also understood that his decision would be permanent, without appeal, and forever binding. The process was terrible to endure, truly horrific, and I'm quite certain that it would kill many people, not because of any condemnation, ridicule, or accusation on his part, but due to simply seeing the terror of truth. I was failing this test miserably. Before me passed a life pattern of decisions far from where they needed to be in order to gain eternal life. I was not going to make it to heaven. God was going to throw me out and I agreed with his assessment. Through the eyes of the Lord, I perceived for the first time how much I had offended him. Even the tiniest of ways, the things held up in front of me were sometimes so very small. But in seeing myself as God viewed me, I didn't like what I witnessed, and I began to cry with heartfelt sorrow. Lord, I am so sorry. I sobbed and I meant it. At that moment, the review ceased. There was a pause and he considered my fate. My heart almost stopped as I knew his decision would be forever. Then he spoke one sentence and only one sentence. My dear child, your sins I shall remember no more. And they were gone. I felt it happen and I was physically different, cleaner, lighter, and much, much different. As difficult as my life view was, to watch, I can say with honesty that a tremendous, extraordinary sense of peace and calm emanated all the while from the Lord, the source of endless and unconditional love, who has waited from the beginning of time to impart his heart to anyone wishing to receive it. This is a love like I never thought possible, and, I, and a peace that the world can't give. All of my questions about him and about where I stood with him were gone. That night, I slept like I never had before. So, after that experience, he uh, starts to walk back to um, the office where he met with the Monsignor. And he notices that he just feels this fiery, electrifying pulse go through his body. And 
as he's feeling this, he hears these words almost as if in his own heart, be not afraid and prepare ye the way of the Lord. And um, he talks about how uh, this fire of the Holy Spirit, this moving, breathing, living, um, playful spirit is teaching him or imparting this wisdom in his soul about the Holy Scripture. And um, so I wanted to read that part for you guys as well, because it's just beautiful. So he's talking about how the um, this kind of dingy <laughs> feeling of a funny bone being hit on a door is going through his entire body, fixing him as it goes up and down. And then simultaneously, a rush of scripture flashed through my head at lightning speed, starting with the Old Testament, traveling through the New Testament, and ending with the book of the Revelation. Suddenly, it all made sense. With sin no longer upon me, I could see the scripture's timeless, eternal, and beautiful truth clearly for the first time. The love wrapped around the power of the word, and it was enough to melt me into tears of joy. The passages highlighted the fire of the Holy Spirit, and until that moment, I had thought of the Holy Spirit as a metaphor, like the spirit of the law or the spirit of justice, but certainly not a person. I was wrong because this was him. This was the same fire that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, the fire of the burning bush that spoke to Moses, the fire that came to rest upon the apostles at Pentecost, and now it was upon me. There was a distinct personality to this fire, separate from me but working in conjunction with me. It made me feel safe like a protective blanket or coat of armor, and I could see and hear its thoughts and emotions. I could work with it under the authority of God, but not control it, for it was not mine. There was a beautiful peace and almost a playfulness about it. It feared nothing, and it was the controlling force of all creation. The second the scriptures ended, so did the feeling of electricity in my body, but the presence of the Holy Spirit remained. He spoke again, You shall travel the world telling your story, and telling the story of the Blessed Virgin. Until a few moments earlier, I did not even know the story of the Blessed Virgin, and now I intimately did. And it goes on for several months after that, and he's getting lessons from the Holy Spirit about Scripture. And um, he's learning about the heart of God. He's learning about the love of God and this story throughout all of mankind's history how God has reached out to us time and time again to show us um, his plan to bring us back to um, our original design uh, that we fell from. So it's really beautiful how he explains that. Uh, but he's also shown quite a bit about the chastisements and purification that is to come. And he understands that it is inevitable that it's eternally binding that these things must take place but that there's also this time of mercy repentance and change and that is the time that's at hand for us now so he returns home obviously he agrees <laughs> to um do the assignment for the monsignor and i would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation when he returned back to the office um, but 
he returns home and he has this newfound love and faith in the church and he gets all of his kids baptized they start going to church and confession and getting involved and doing everything that they were meant to do from the beginning and so um this is the 1980s that this happens uh so in the 1980s he founds what's called faith films and it's reached over 20 countries and it's given the account of the blessed virgin mary and her extraordinary life um, to all of these people and he talks about how we're all going to face this illumination of conscience some of us are going to face it twice once in the warning experience and once after death but he talks about and he really stresses how when we're separated from our flesh and we're actually dead we're not going to be able to change or convert and so it's very important to take the warning in the flesh on earth very seriously and let it change us. Open that door of mercy for our own hearts, our own souls. So it's just an absolutely beautiful um, testimony that he's got. And the very last paragraph says, many have called what I experienced the warning as reported by the children of the apparitions at Garabandal. I don't know if I would call it that. Perhaps one isn't, perhaps if one isn't grateful to the Lord, it would be a warning. But for me, it was the finest gift from God I have ever received. So then he, uh, the author gives us the diary of St. Maria Faustina Kowalska, number 378. And it says all the, this is Jesus speaking. And it says, all of those who will proclaim my great mercy I shall protect them myself at the hour of death as my own glory. And even if the sins of souls are as dark as night, when the sinner turns to my mercy, he gives me the greatest praise and is the glory of my passion. When a soul praises my goodness, Satan trembles before it and flees to the very bottom of hell. So doesn't that just make you want to... <laughs> Jesus <laughs> just call out his glory and just say it with your whole heart every single day every moment of every single day you know we're supposed to live our lives in a way that's calling out the you know with every tiny action that we do that's calling out the glory of Jesus so I just love that and I think that with this testimony it's very um i love how heavy it, it plays on the holy spirit and shows us so many different traits of the holy spirit and how the holy spirit personifies itself and works with us um how we can be in union with the holy spirit how when we are free from sin we are able to soak in um scripture and the traditions and doctrines of the faith so much more um but sin is kind of that barrier that blocks that grace for us and if we are in a state of sin it's so much harder to understand why things happen or what god's plan is and reading this chapter really made that clear for me because so often i've asked myself why is it i just can't seem to to get this why is it 
I just seem to not understand this concept or this story of the Bible or why God's doing this in my life. Um, so I also think that this is a wonderful testimony because it talks about this fire, this fire of the Holy Spirit that uh, he really does go through sort of a Pentecost experience and the warning or the illumination of conscience has many different names this event does but one of its names is the second pentecost and so you can only imagine the amount of grace that god is going to pour out on each and every one of us and how tangible the holy spirit is going to be after we experience this um illumination of conscience or this warning so you know, a lot of times I find myself kind of in dread or fear of this happening um, because I feel like I'm not ready and I don't want to see what Jesus has to show me. But there is so much grace that he gives each and every person in this book when they go through it so that they get through it so that they can go on living afterwards. And there's so much grace that the Holy Spirit, after the effect, is imparting on us. So that makes me excited. That really, I think, is is what gets me through the fear aspect of it. Because there's so much more that God has planned for us. It's not just to show us how bad we've been. It's to wake us up to truth, yes, essentially, but it's also to cleanse all those things away from us so that the Holy Spirit can do exactly what it's supposed to do. And when we pray that flame of love rosary, what we're praying for is this very event. When we pray the Our Father, we're saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray that uh, flame of love rosary, we say, Spread the effects of thy grace, of thy flame of love over all humanity. And what we're calling for, what this flame of love is, is this Pentecost moment that will change the world. It's going to change and take away all those fears that you had before. Um, some people say that you'll even be healed afterwards from your chronic illnesses or uh, things that get in your way. Uh, of doing what you would like to do for the Lord or what you feel called to do for the Lord. Victim souls might not be victim souls anymore. So we don't really know. We can't say exactly what's going to happen, but this testimony gives me such hope for what the Holy Spirit has in store for us post this event of the warning. So I'm going to go ahead and read um, all the questions. First, I'm going to read the personal reflection ones, and you guys don't have to answer those. Those are just for you. So um, put yourself in Christopher Winter's shoes. You are now in front of the Lord of all creation. What would you say to him? Have you ever had a profound experience in adoration in front of the tabernacle at communion or felt like you have communicated directly with the Lord? The second one is, after prayerful meditation, jot down a few things that the Holy Spirit is calling to your attention in your own conscience. 
How is he asking you to pave the way for the Lord within your life and your heart? And then the uh, questions for discussion. And I will go back and check that everybody is off of mute. Just go ahead and uh, I'm not going to have people raise hands. Just go ahead and talk and, and we'll figure it out. But uh, these questions are number one. Chris beautifully describes his experience of the Holy Scriptures. Do you feel the same about the Word of God? How does the living, breathing Word affect your faith and perseverance? And the second question is, Chris experiences the fire of the Holy Spirit in this encounter, commissioning him to pave the way of the Lord. The illumination of conscience is also referred to as the second Pentecost, meaning that we will all experience this holy fire within us soon. How will the Lord's way need to be prepared by his faithful after the warning? Well, I can kind of relate with him a lot on this one because, you know, he's basically saying, I'm not, who am I to do this? You know, and, and he he uh, just feels, un, I don't know if the right word is unworthy, but incapable because he doesn't understand his faith, I don't think, that, that well uh, when he's talking, um, what was it, the Monsignor to do a videography, or I can't remember, but uh, mm-hmm. I can certainly relate <laughs> with feeling unworthy and incapable of doing things um but i i just liked how you said how he he equips who he calls and um, i think that is so true and i think this particular story um his 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 uh testimony is proof in the pudding that that's true because you know he was he was nowhere near uh to the lord as she was after that moment and um i just think that that just shows how god can use anybody and i mean you know he used a donkey lest we forget (laughs) so um um, you know uh i think we we have to maybe take out like he did just you know i don't i don't know if he did it just to kind of get the guy off of his back or or a leap of faith or whatever um it's probably more the first one i think he did he he said he was just like well i'll just go down there and this will get me out of it and then all of a sudden he's shown what he's shown and um i think if we just um take that leap of faith uh, i think we'd be very surprised what god can do with us and how he can use Absolutely. us. Absolutely. And it's always, it seems to be a theme here too with this book that there's always somebody in the background who initiated this experience for these people. Like either their mom was praying or their mom consecrated them at birth to the Blessed Virgin or a friend encourages them to over and over and over again uh, <laughs> to do something, or um, in some people's case, it was uh, 
you know, just strangers coming up to them in a parking lot and saying, here, I feel like I should give you this. Go to Magicoria, <laughs> you know? So just random things that we allow the Holy Spirit to um, work with us, then we can change lives and we can direct somebody too to their paths that they're supposed to do to make way the you know make ready the way for the lord so um yeah i think that when we open ourselves up to that there's so many things that we can do to help god even if it's just encourage somebody else or make a video you know no matter how unworthy we feel we need to um embrace what god has in store and just say yes you know don't be afraid don't get in your head that you have nothing to offer because <laughs> that's what i do all the time i think to myself i'm just a stay-at-home mom nobody don't have a theology degree you know haven't done a public speaking course in years I, what do i have to offer but i'm sitting here doing this you know and i enjoy it and i i'm just imparting wisdom that somebody else wrote down but it's important for us to do the small things um and sometimes the bigger things thanks for sharing that terry it's i can relate too I had heard that there was going to be, that our job was to, um, I guess, teach, basically, and because um, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be, have to be a lot of priests that are going to be available for confession. There's going to be people that are, even in our own families, and even those that are just like lukewarm in the faith, um, going to have to bring them to and explain to them it's like okay this is this is kind of like what happened and you know what do you want to do about it you know what i mean um right so kind of you know taking them by the hand basically yeah you're absolutely right uh and that's what i've heard too i've just heard that confession lines are going to be extremely long and you know priests are going to need help uh and they're going to need sustenance and people to help uh, traffic things and um, step in and let them have bathroom breaks or whatnot. Uh, and then, yeah, everybody's going to have to make a choice at that point. So there can be no more lukewarm. You have seen God face to face. So, yeah, we're going to uh, basically be like Peter baptizing the 3000 on the first day of Pentecost you know it's the you know that was the birthday of the church and this will be kind of like the um rebirth i suppose you could say so it's an exciting time it's going to be a little chaotic but i do think too that with the graces of the holy spirit that we are going to get um I think it's going to be amazing to watch what God has in store. And I think it, you're going to see a lot less timidity in people. I think people are going to be a lot more on fire and just knowing what they're supposed to do and carrying it out, not feeling doubts. So 
it's gonna be awesome <laughs> i think <laughs> i'm excited uh that those that that really were had doubts or whatever are now going to be are now really going to realize that those that are agnostic or those that are atheists i think a lot of them are going to turn around they're just going to be like whoa you know what i mean so like can see it all, yeah. you know mm-hmm. thinking yeah that, there's really there is a creator you know how can i not see that or how can i not even even think that you know and then why did i let myself get to that point you know what i mean where you know i was just so lackadaisical about my faith or uh, or i just brushed people off you know that were trying to go ahead and trying to explain to me and i just i didn't want to hear it so i think that okay. you know i'm 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 praying that that's going to happen I'm sure that will, you know, because I know God doesn't want anyone to, he doesn't want to lose anyone. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And um, somewhere I heard that, you know, those are the kind of people that we are going to have to really know our stuff and, and catechize people, you know, Um, and that's not going to be easy at least for me in the state that I'm in right now but hopefully with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit I'm I'm really hoping that what happens with him here in this testimony with this the scriptures just being imparted and written in his heart you know I almost feel like this book is sort of showing us a preview of what we are to expect so I can say that uh, I heard, um, I listened to one of, I think it's Father Rodrigue or one of the seers. I can't remember, but it said that we can also prepare before the warning. And um, well, when I read about it, I tried to go to confession like twice a month and I did do a general confession. Um, it was kind of scary because I had to think about, first I read read about what the general confession is about so there was a guide of questions and i realized there were a lot of things that i must i did they may not look like big sins but they also offend god even the way you dress the way you speak so you know i kind of listed that all down and and then the priest he was very kind because now because of the because of covid um it's also more uh, challenging because now confession face to face so it's there's no longer a screen you're outdoors and the priest is in front of you so he sees you you see him so that kind of added a bit of fear in my heart because (laughs) i what if i bump into him you know but then again i said well you know i'm sure he's heard worse so i just did it and then after i did it i felt so good that now i try to go at least twice a month and it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm perfect you know I still uh, sometimes there are things that you repeatedly do even if you confess them but at least I feel that somehow I'm trying to do something to at least help me to prepare because it calms me to know that there are still some ways where you can prepare and I just wanted to share it um, in case you, you guys would want to consider doing the same thing I appreciate that. And we record this and I post it um, other places too. So 
everything you guys have to say, somebody else out there might hear and it might help them to make this transition easier on themselves. So I appreciate you guys sharing. It's important that we share the knowledge that we have about what to expect and get the word out there. Uh, like, like it says in this testimony, pave the way for the Lord. So let's go ahead and move on to Christina. I have to tell you guys, you know, I really love all of the testimonies in this book. And Vince Segala's was probably the one that hit me the most. But this one is the one I can relate to. It's like almost reading a diary or something. So this one is very dear to my heart. And... um very similar to my story, what brought me back to the church. So I'm really excited to share this one with you guys. And um, hopefully it blesses you both, uh, you all too. So Christina was born into a Greek Orthodox family. And her oldest brother was born in 1981. And he had to immediately after birth be rushed into the neonatal emergency unit. And he developed an illness very quickly. Um, his mother was just so distraught and um, she was a very pious person, but never really had a devotion to the Blessed Virgin. But being a new mother herself and knowing just deep inside that Mary was a mother too, she just cried out to Mary to save her baby boy. And um, after just a couple weeks, suddenly the illness just went away. And um, the, her mother attributed that to um, the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so when Christina and her other brother were born, they were consecrated to the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, upon their births. Um, so it kind of set a precedence for them and I guess set them apart. Uh, at birth. She grew up Orthodox, but she had a very superficial love for Jesus um, and sort of just went through the motions with her family. Uh, she talked about how it was just hard growing up as an Orthodox kid because, you know, you're pulled between a lot of the rules of Orthodoxy versus, you know, wanting to live in the world and be accepted by peers and and just things that kids go through. And she talked about how she almost hoped that the traffic from New Jersey into, I think they used to go into the city for um, their Orthodox masses, but she, she almost prayed for bad traffic so that they would <laughs> miss part of the three hour long service every Sunday. Um, as she got a little bit older, she kind of had, uh, because her faith was so superficial and on the surface, she kind of had an issue with not being very strong, not being very convicted. And so she had a high school teacher who actually planted a lot of seeds of doubt. He, you know, I, I experienced this a lot in college too, but um, in high school, she was already getting Marxist idealism through the, these kind of teachers. And this idea that you need to question everything your parents tell you and question everything um, that you've been raised to believe. He used to quote Karl Marx all the time to the class, and she she notes that 
that he used to say religion is the opiate of the masses. So she sort of starts to adopt this um, idea and the concept of God becomes more of an abstract idea to her by the end of her senior year in high school and her belief fades very quickly. Uh, she chooses for whatever reason to go to a biblical college in the Bible Belt of the United States, travel down south. She even attends a Bible study on campus, but her belief is just waning. And every time she encounters somebody zealous in their faith, um, it almost creates this adverse reaction in her watching them, seeing them. And so really, it's like her her heart's dying, you know, dying to the things of faith and acceptance and hopes to be accepted by the world. So she graduates a little bit early because she's offered a, a job as an assistant to a celebrity couple uh, in New York City. And so it's kind of this dream job for her. And she became a success very quickly. Um, they had their own production company and network. And so she's, you know, moved into Manhattan. She's renting an apartment with friends who are kind of on the same level spiritually as her. And um, she's actually uh, an, a senior executive at a very young age, 23, creating ideas for reality uh, TV shows. And so she goes home for her niece's baptism and her mom, you know, is home there. And um, she's kind of annoyed to be back home for that. But her niece's baptism is the next day. And just to indulge her mom, she walks over to the computer and she watches this YouTube video that her mom puts up on the screen. In 2008, this happened. And just wanted to read on page 167 what she has to say about that. To humor my mother, I walked over to look at the screen and in the video, a blonde woman is in a large hall surrounded by hundreds, maybe thousands of people. And everyone was reciting the rosary, completely focused in prayer. The woman began to breathe heavily and clutched her heart. Then she looked up and the expression on her face was like nothing I had ever seen in my life. The moment is one that, to this day, I cannot fully describe. When the woman's face beamed with wonder and ecstasy, a very strong and sudden awareness came into me. The first thing I understood immediately was that God exists. I knew this as an undeniable fact. I also knew that Jesus was real and that he was God. At the same time, God revealed to me that what was taking place in the video was real, that this woman had actually been seeing and conversing with the Blessed Virgin Mary. In the same breath, I was given the grace to see myself in absolute truth, not how I pictured myself, but how I really was. Suddenly and down to the smallest detail, I saw all the ways I had offended God. Never before or since have I felt so deeply, painfully sorry. I started sobbing, and I had, at times, I had hurt other people through my actions. Even things I had never thought about, like sarcastic jokes, had aggrieved God because they made light of people's suffering. Except for my crying, my mom didn't know what was happening to me, so I just kept repeating, this is real, this is real. It took me so by surprise, 
But until that point, I had always seen myself as a good person, and now I became painfully aware that I was not as upright as I had always viewed myself to be. I was much different in God's eyes than in my own. How could I have been that way? I felt distraught that I couldn't stop bawling, and I cried for many weeks after that. This experience was like a mini death for me, a taste of what I would face at the end of my life, and if I continued to offend God in so many of my thoughts and actions, at that time, I didn't know what would happen to me. It wasn't until years after that I heard the term illumination of conscience, and I do believe that that is what I experienced on this day, sparked by the video of what I learned was the visionary Miriana Soldo, seeing an apparition of Our Lady in the holy site of Medjugorje, Bosnia-Herzegovina. Quite fittingly, one of Miriana's missions given to her by the Blessed Mother is to pray for the conversion of non-believers. That night, her mom gives her a book, and it just is a compilation of interviews with the six visionaries of Medjugorje, and it's called Queen of the Cosmos. And it's interesting because her brother is born and consecrated to the Blessed Virgin Mary after this sudden illness happens to him in the hospital. But he's born the same year that these apparitions start happening. And so there's clearly a connection with this family and Medjugorje and the events happening there. And later what Mary uh, calls for this woman to do it's just interesting how all the dates and everything line up. I really love how I love how heaven works. Sometimes it's just amazing to see. But she goes, she reads this book cover to cover, not even an avid reader, but she just finishes it right away. She reads it that night. They go into the um, church the next morning and She's just kind of in the, a haze with all the new information that's hit her, kind of lost in thought. But as she walks into the church, she just notices that there's no roses around, but she can smell very strongly just a bunch of roses, very fresh. She later learns that that's when Mary is present. You can smell the roses. They walk in. And she's looking around and she sees all these icons of all these saints. And before, you know, she's been in this church a million times, but before they were just caricatures of made up people from a long time ago. Now they feel alive. They feel like real people who did things, built the church and proclaimed God to all of humanity and all the generations that would come after. And she starts to really enjoy the Mass for the first time in her life. She's soaking up every minute of it. And before the baptism begins, her sister comes up to her unexpectedly and says, I feel, I don't know why, but I feel like you're supposed to be um, the godmother. So now not only is she finally experiencing a Mass that she's actually involved in, and now she's being called to help baptize this little baby. It's almost like a renewal of her baptism. She has this beautiful experience, and then she has to return home to New York City. And upon returning home, she 
goes into solitude a lot. Her friends don't understand what she's going through, but she just doesn't feel like socializing. She starts to see the evil around her. She's now been very rudely awakened to the fact that there's a God. And now she's being very rudely awakened to the fact that there's Satan as well. And everything in New York City, she says, just seems like this big distraction, this fake world that people think is reality but actually isn't. It's just pulling them farther and farther out of the scope of what reality really is. She talks about how all the billboards, all the signs, the TV shows that her and her friends used to watch, even the commercials, are all this setup that Satan has very successfully set in our way so that we literally can't see God. We're so bombarded with everything else. She said she was sitting on her floor watching True Blood with her friends, and just in the opening credit, anti-religious, anti-Catholic symbols and different satanic symbols, and she never thought about it before, but it was so satanic that she couldn't even watch. So um, she goes through months and months of this, and she's really feeling attacked. She definitely knows that Satan wants her soul and that he's not happy about her conversion. She gets a call one morning that her dad actually passed away, and it was June 24th, the anniversary of Medjugorje, the first visions, that he passes away. Um, of course, the family is crushed by this, and she's crushed by this, uh, but she starts to spend a lot more time in prayer, a lot more time alone. She's kind of drawing away from her job, drawing away from her friends, and going home a lot more. Her and her mom are actually at church one day when they hear about uh, Ivan, one of the Medjugorje visionaries, is going to come to Boston to MIT, and he's going to give a chat, and then he's also going to have an apparition, most likely, of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so her and her mom drive all the way out there, and they're the first ones there, and this is almost a year uh, to the anniversary of her father's death. They get there early, and they actually are the only people in the building. They talk to the director of the event. She tells them about a trip to Medjugorje that they are um, putting together. They want to go, but it's the anniversary of her dad's death, and they're actually planning to be in Greece because that's where he was when he passed away uh, visiting his sister. But they sit down, and Ivan's sitting next to them. And they actually get to talk with him a little bit. And then they get to be uh, inches away from him when he's having his vision, uh, his apparition of the Virgin Mary. And Christina, she knows what's happening now. She understands it. She said that she's unable to move, unable to think of anything but the Blessed Virgin Mary. And she just has this beautiful experience of silence and prayer. So a couple weeks later, aunt from Greece calls and asks her mom if they can postpone it just a week. All of a sudden, this date for the year anniversary of her father's death and the anniversary of the first apparition, June 24th, is open. And so they're able to go. They're there for um, three days in Medjugorje. And she talks about there's just tons of miracles 
that happen while they're there. But the biggest miracle is that she starts to feel like Mary is commissioning her to do something. So I just wanted to read to you the last page of her testimony. That pilgrimage to Medjugorje was only three days long, but it had a profound impact on me. Many miracles took place while I was there, but the most profound was, and the greatest of all, took place in my soul. I went to confession for the first time in my life, and I felt such peace. I came home with a new strength, and I began to live Our Lady's messages of prayer, confession, fasting, reading the Bible, going to church, and so much more. I also started praying the rosary. Now I was armed with the most powerful weapons against Satan. Only two months later, I returned to Medjugorje, this time alone, but with my mother's support, in order to discern what God wanted me to do with my life. During this trip, I got the overwhelming desire to tell everyone in my life about Medjugorje and to share Our Lady's messages. I began to feel a specific call to make a documentary in order to introduce Medjugorje to non-believers and to people who had never heard of it. I believed that if I could be changed, so could others who were struggling with their faith. I knew it would be necessary to leave my job in order to pursue what God wanted for me. So when I returned to Manhattan, I put in my notice to be out by Christmas. I began telling my friends and family about Medjugorje, but I had a very difficult time describing it to people, especially secular, non-Catholic friends unfamiliar with Fatima or Lourdes. Nothing I ever said properly conveyed what was happening there. I found myself directing them to the YouTube clip that I had seen that changed my whole life, thinking naively that it would have the same impact on them as it did me. On Christmas Eve, I packed up my desk, I moved back home to New Jersey, and by New Year's Eve, I had come down with a bad flu. As I sat on the couch on, at home with cough medicine and Dick Clark, my mind began to spin. Did I just make a huge mistake by leaving my job? How am I going to support myself? How will I be able to interview the visionaries? I didn't know the visionaries. How would I film anything? I don't even know how to edit a video. How the heck am I going to make a documentary? But thankfully, and graciously, Our Lady made her presence known to me every step of the way. Doors opened during the filming that should never have opened, and in any other circumstance would be sealed shut. Although there were many difficulties in the making of it, in just over a year's time, I had completed the project. Two days after consecrating myself to Our Lady on August 15, 2011, I had finished my DVD in hand called Queen of Peace. There's an ongoing prayer that Queen of Peace be used at a, as a tool in the hands of some of the millions of people who have been to Medjugorje and to wish to share Our Lady's messages with those in their lives who have never heard of Medjugorje or with people who are struggling with their faith or their parish and prayer groups. Through Medjugorje, Our Lord our Lady is giving us all the tools we need to walk the difficult path of holiness and leave the path of the world. Without her intercession, I don't know if I ever would have turned and traveled down the right road. I am forever grateful to Our Lady for bringing me back to her son. I pray that my life and my film are signposts to continue to point people toward their eternal home. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, but I can tell you from experience that one simple video can be worth a million. And this is Jesus speaking to St. Faustina in her diary, number 584. 
When you reflect upon what I tell you in the depths of your heart, you profit more than if you had read many books. Oh, if souls would only want to listen to my voice when I am speaking in the depths of their hearts, they would reach the peak of holiness in such a short time. Watching that video, uh, well, watching a Medjugorje video is what changed my life too. So I can relate so profoundly to this experience and I'm so grateful to all the visionaries uh, wherever they are in the world for their courage and their conviction and their obedience because uh, for me private revelation is uh, the handprint of God private revelation is how he has shown himself since Adam to mankind and um, I didn't even know what it was until just a couple years ago but since learning about it more I am so fully convinced that of course you know with the church's discernment uh, and obedience to that we truly are in direct communication all the time with heaven and how priceless is that? I mean, we don't have anything else that gets us that close. And they've been preparing us for hundreds of years, but definitely more frequently in the last uh, few decades. They've been preparing us for what is now happening in our world right now. Um, that to me is invaluable. And it just helps to prove that I'm doing the right thing, that I'm uh, believing the truth and following the truth and that I'm leading my family in the right direction too. And just like Christina here, um, learning about this has convicted me in such a way to share with other people, but it's hard. It's hard to share with other people what private revelation is or what Marian apparitions are because there's you know we are so stuck in um a blind spot that satan has constructed around us for a reason to keep us blind you know it's almost like we're in a house full of mirrors and all we can see is all of our flaws and the flaws of people next to us and the entertainment value of everything has to be at its height and that's what uh, we prioritize. But what we're missing is that if you just would step out of that maze, there's a whole nother world out there and that's the real world. The fun house is what you just stepped outside of, you know, but we're so caught in the fun house. We think that that's reality. That's what's sad about, you know, uh, living my, the majority of my life, not understanding the church. But luckily, um, you know, Our Lady and Our Lord still have a plan for all of us. And it doesn't matter when we jumped on board. Um, they're just happy to have us. And we have something important to do and, and something very important to contribute. So I love Christina's testimony for that reason. Um, and the very fact that a girl with that kind of success you know, she's living in New York and she's um, producing TVs 
TV shows and um, she's a an executive for this, there aren't many people who would turn away from that, but she did. So I find her to be a very special soul. All right, so I'm gonna go ahead and read the personal reflection questions. Have you ever felt stuck in what Christina calls Satan's lie surrounding us? What testimony, teaching, sacrament, saint, apparition, etc., pulled you back to accept God's truth? The second question is, have you ever heard Our Lady calling you back to Jesus or to be an integral, integral part of her plan for the rescue of the world? So often, just our presence can be a miracle for others. Where can your presence be a miracle for someone? And then the um, group discussion questions are, Christina experienced a profound sign from God that changed her whole perception of reality. Our world so badly needs a sign to wake us to reality again. In what ways can we pray and act to show truth to those most blind and save souls? The second question is, have you ever watched an apparition of Our Lady of Medjugorje? What struck you about the visionaries? What struck you about the message? And what contrast did you see between the reality of heaven and what we perceive as reality on earth? Very profound. Mm -hmm. And um, with Christine, I have watched like on YouTube, I've seen, uh, uh, you know, like the Medjugorje messages or, or you know, Marigiana receiving a message. And it's just like, uh, I saw one, one time where um, I believe someone was possessed mm -hmm. and um they were screaming and yelling and carrying on and people were saying you know we're, we're trying to shush her and they didn't realize i guess what was going on but mirjana didn't even blink right did not even blink she was just you know she was in, in that ecstasy and i'm like i'm thinking to myself that is true because yeah. she did not yeah. even flinch right. when the devil was trying to distract her. She did not even flinch. So it's amazing. That was, was profound. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that happens a lot there, I guess. I just saw a video yesterday of that. Um, one of her old apparitions, and I think it was 2017. Yep, that's yeah. the one I'm talking about, where it was a woman in, in a like a, a, a bluish coat. A blue coat, yeah. Yep, that was her, yep. Yeah, and when... That, Courtney? <laughs> I just that? thought... You and I are thinking about the same thing. That's funny. Uh -huh. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing to me that... Yeah, well, I mean, the demon cannot be in the presence of Our Lady without severe pain. And yeah. so they manifest a lot when she, it, yeah, when she is um, appearing. So this this woman's completely normal. And then all of a sudden, uh, she falls to the ground behind a couple other people. 
And then you don't hear a woman. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like, who's that guy screaming? But it was her. Yeah, that, and then that was, that was the devil. Yeah, it was two or three different voices that came out of her. Um, very, I mean, that right there is enough to prove to you that this is truth. You know, yeah. you're so right. Because uh, she doesn't flinch. And we already know through exorcisms and testimonies of exorcisms that by saying her name, by even just saying her name, they scream out but for her to actually be present this thing is clearly feeling agony <laughs> it was, it was, i thought too i'm like whoa man talk about mary stepping on his head she was crushing his head big time did you notice though how the woman looked comfortable even though she's going through this like when you look at real exorcisms and stuff these poor people are just, uh, they're put into all kinds of physical danger. But this woman, oh, yeah. I think by the grace of Mary, was just laying down and it was trying to manifest, but she was uh, protected, I think. And in, in, I think in a way she was, yes. I mean, she still, she, it, you, you still saw that, you know what I mean? You mm -hmm. still saw the, the devil speaking um right. and i've actually i've actually seen that um at at our lady of chestahova i actually witnessed uh one, oh. on a first friday uh, mm -hmm. where the priest was praying over over someone and um she fell out and then you know she was she was possessed and then all of a sudden you saw every all of us not everybody but a bunch of us went over and stood where she was and we put you know we we brought our hands towards her and mm. we were praying some of us were praying in tongues some of us were just you know we're just helping with the priest as he was you know as he was praying for this wow. woman who who was possessed so it was quite intriguing it was quite wow incredible actually that's crazy yeah yeah i mean uh and when she talks about how satanic everything we watch every uh you know just broadway the whole street she was talking about how the whole street with the thousands and millions and billions of advertisements and satanic symbols that are hidden everywhere and um strip shows and just you know it's really sodom and gomorrah you know and yeah. how her eyes were finally awakened to that after this experience it's so true we are bombarded with it all the time but he hides in plain sight it's crazy because he doesn't want you to know he's really there he just wants to distract you because if if everybody saw what you saw <laughs> People be scared out of their minds and they'd be like, I better figure something out. Um, I had an experience where we were at uh, Planned Parenthood in Norristown and I was, I, I happened to be there by myself. And um, 
a woman came with her mother, and they were from out of state, and she said that her mother was had to go into Planned Parenthood um, to go ahead, I guess, and get something. So I was talking to the young girl, her daughter, and we were talking, and um, I kind of, like, explained to her, you know, I said, what goes on in there? And she says, really? She says, I didn't, you know. She says, oh, well, you know, I, I, I know a little bit about Planned Parenthood. And, um, I can't even act, actually remember the whole conversation. But she said she had to go inside the Planned Parenthood. She went inside. Courtney, when she came out, she came out within five minutes. And her eyes, she came up to me, and she was just like, she had this panic look on her face. And I'm like, I'm looking at her. I'm like, are you okay? She goes, oh, my gosh. I will never, ever in my entire life ever go into one of those ever again. I got, what happened? She said, as soon as I walked in, she said, they were playing uh, like these um, inappropriate uh, movies. She said, I saw the devil all over the place. Because my prayer was when she went in there, I asked the Lord to open up her eyes and her ears and her heart to let her see what's going on, what truly goes on in there. She came out. I mean, she was just like, she, she was like in shock. She said, I can't uh, believe what I saw in there. She says, I will never, ever, ever in my entire life ever go into one of those again, into a Planned wow. Parenthood. That's insane. Yeah. Wow. So I mean, he does. He does. He hides in plain sight. He really yeah. does. You know, and he, and his, yeah. and they're so and his his uh, he's so subliminal in his messages. Do you know what I mean? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, like you can watch a hamburger commercial, and it's and you know, yep. I mean, she looks like she's you know she's having oral sex with a hamburger. I mean, that's how right. bad it is. Right. Yep. Um, I just had a friend in massage school who um, I didn't always used to be as open to uh, sharing my beliefs or, you know, I didn't really know how to express why I believe what I believe. So uh, I had somebody approach me who always kind of adv admired me for my beliefs um, and encouraged me, but she didn't believe what I believed, but she came up to me after I posted something on Facebook back in the day about pro-life and being anti-abortion. Now, mind you, this is a girl, or I should say woman, but she was, uh, one, one morning we were in class and we used to sit on the floor and a spider was crawling on the floor. I kid you not. She cried because somebody went to kill it. And she said, no. She screams out and she says, no, don't kill it. You know, that just floored me. I was like, oh, this is weird, you know. But I think I understood a couple weeks later why I saw that. Because she approached me after I posted that on Facebook and she said, I just am curious to hear your side of this. I'm not trying to attack you or anything, but I mean, why are you so against Planned Parenthood? They're a health organization and things like this. And 
I, I told her, I said, do you remember the other day when you were in class and you were crying because the spider, you know, somebody almost killed the spider and, you know, it just hurt you because he was a living thing. And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And I said, well, what about a baby inside their mother's womb who is supposed to be comforted and protected there? supposed to grow into the little person they're supposed to be and I can tell you firsthand just having babysat and and things that babies are a blessing they're a beautiful blessing I think she had a kid so she said yeah they absolutely are and I said okay well you almost cried because a spider died Planned Parenthood kills thousands of babies every day thousands who are innocent and didn't do anything well what about rape and incest and all that and I'm like what does the baby have to do with that there's adoption you have to end a life because they didn't they didn't come out the way everyone expected them to get there you know but still well I'll, t- I'll, you know, I'll tell you one, yeah on one thing rape happens in 0.1 percent it's so small right they but they always bring that up the pro-choice always bring that up what about race or incest yeah okay yes well and then uh she said well what about what about other things and i'm like yeah what about other things like down syndrome did you know that iceland has considered themselves to have eradicated down syndrome and she's like oh wow that's amazing and i said Yeah, but what they mean when they say that is they just have aborted every single case that they've come across successfully. Do you know what that is? That's called genocide. I think you have a compassionate heart. You know, this spider almost died and you defended its life. Maybe you're being called to defend something even greater than that. You know, so (laughs) it's funny how God gives us opportunities you know even if we're not equipped for it in the moment god equips the called he gives us what we need uh in the the time when it when it needs to happen you know so it's interesting watching him work in these testimonies and when i think back on certain memories and and uh, like what you've been through being there for that woman when she was going through that in this church, you know, that's that was awesome that you were there so that you could pray for her. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. He gives us he gives us the words to speak when when we need them. Sometimes it doesn't necessarily need to be speaking, sometimes it's just it's just, just being, being there, right? Just being present, right, being present exactly exactly and i mean look at look at christine's mom she wasn't shoving it down her throat or anything she just shows her this simple little video and boom that's it that was that was the defining moment for her daughter uh you know so uh a lot of times in my life i've been afraid to share with people and that was that lady was one of the people i I felt something in me say, I don't want her to judge me. But she was the least judgmental people of all the people in that school. 
But I think that's what the enemy does, is he pits us against one another. Even though there's no good founding reason, uh, he just puts these um, these false thoughts or these lies in our head or these fears on our heart so that we won't share. Um, you know, we got to fight that. Remember that. I like these testimonies because they're probably the most normal of the ones in the book. They're not very weird and out there, you know? Like, there have been some really detailed, really um, mystical experiences that people have had in some of the other ones. But these guys, especially Christina, just a normal person, you know, who just happened to finally it clicked, you know? And the way she describes her life beforehand versus how she saw things afterwards, that speaks so much to me. It's very hard to relate to the world after you wake up. All right, guys. Well, if nobody has anything else to share, I guess we can end with a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing us here tonight. Thank you for these beautiful testimonies that we're reading out of this book. We're more than halfway done, and I can feel everybody is um, so enlightened by what you have to say, by the message that you're putting in our hearts. And I can feel you calling us to prepare ourselves, but you're preparing us also with your messages and we thank you for that you don't want to leave us orphaned children you want to give us this great gift of the illumination of conscience and for some of us we're already slowly going through it please continue to bless our journey as we consistently grow in faith and in love towards you bring to mind and bring to our hearts exactly what we are doing that grieves you so that we can offer it to you confess it and repent of it and so that that would bring us closer to you and so that we would be ready when this happens to change the world and go out with the fire of the holy spirit and evangelize people catechize people help our priests make resources available do whatever you need us to do, Lord, in that moment, so that your kingdom can come, your will can be done on earth as it is in heaven, and so that Our Lady's Immaculate Heart will triumph with the rapid fire spreading of her immaculate flame of love throughout all humanity. We ask all these beautiful blessings in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you guys for joining me. 